Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks. This is a podcast about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest it and do it with a team, which pretty much leaves us a wide open platform. People are uh, in a relationship to money unconsciously or consciously every day. You can't get through a day without having spent or bought something. And uh, I interview amazing people who are contributing to one of those categories. Today, I have uh, Mike Alden with me. We met years ago on a stage and uh, just reconnected through uh, Clubhouse, the new social platform. And uh, Mike, it is so good to have you on this podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. I'm just super excited that we were able to reconnect. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this will hopefully be fun. Actually, I know it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So you see the range. We can talk about making money, keeping money, investing money. And I want you just to start with a little bit of history. And you are a lawyer and you have a big marketing firm. And I just learned, you know, that you're in CBD, you're in other vodka, you're in all sorts of stuff that I, <laughs> I love. Like your portfolio sounds like mine, which is why I couldn't wait for this interview. It's like so rare to have such diversity in portfolio. So it's going to start like, take us through your walk. How did you get from there to here? Yeah, you know, you know, you and I were talking uh, a little while ago, you know, talking about lemonade, selling lemonade, right? I'm I'm that classic kid, the classic entrepreneur that, you know, I grew up in the projects, you know, my mom's HIV positive, my stepfather died of AIDS, my my father was addicted to coke, kid I grew up with in jail for life of murder, one of my brothers did time for distribution, another brother died of an overdose. My, uh, my stepmother just recently died of an overdose. And, you know, I, you know, I stood in the separate line in elementary school, middle school and high school because my lunch was subsidized by the state. And I remember what it feels like there. I remember what it feels like to have the Salvation Army come to my home and give us toys and food. And, and I still have that feeling right now as that kid from the projects. But I do remember, you know, saying to myself, like, man, like, I want the simple little things. Like, I want to be able to get my own ice cream. I want to be able to buy my own bike. You know, I, I need this stuff. You know, I want to get out of the projects. And so what did I do? Like, what did, what did a good entrepreneur do? Well, I did two things, right? I was definitely kind of going down the wrong path as a kid, but I also said, well, you know what, let's take a look at what I do have and what I can do to make real money and get the things that I want. And so it started out with, like we were talking about with a lemonade stand. And not only did I do a lemonade stand, but I franchised it. I had a lemonade stand. When I say franchise, we had like three or four of them all over the city. And then, you know, I would drive around on my bike and go from, from one station to the other and refilling stuff and, and giving ice and things like that. And I had a paper route and I had, I shoveled in the winter when kids were building snowmen and and having snowball fights, I was shoveling from seven in the morning till 7 PM at night. And so that's kind of like what got us here today. And that's really been always been my mentality is let's figure out how to build a business. Let's figure out how to scale a business and let's uh, try and build a long-term life. So did you, were you a lawyer, like right out of school? Is it with your trajectory, like from university to law school, or did you go back? Like, what was your first Talk through that, you know, process. Yeah. And then what was the big business? What was the one that was like your moment? Mine, mine was a real estate moment is like became a millionaire and the rest is history, right? 
<laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. You know, so I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, in fact, you know, in second grade, when your kids, a lot of times they ask you, what do you want to be? And everybody, you know, the things that they know, oh, well, I want to be a, uh, a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a teacher. And I wrote down lawyer. I didn't even know what a lawyer was. I mean, I had to have known what a lawyer was because that's what I wrote down. And I think the reason why is just because the way I grew up, I was surrounded by crime, drugs, and violence. And I just, I just didn't like the activity of being around police and them really kind of like, you know, taking advantage of us. So I knew that I wanted to go to law school, but when I graduated college, I was, you know, still relatively poor. My family was still poor and I wasn't going to not make money. So I, I tried to find a job and I, it was tough finding a job, but I found a job selling cars. And I remember saying to myself, I'm like, I know I want to go to law school. I do not want to be a car sales guy. I had a negative image like everybody does uh, about car salespeople. It's probably one of the most difficult things to start selling next to maybe like insurance, but it was the best decision I've ever made. I learned how to sell. I learned how to close the sale. I learned how to do things like what we used to call, we call them dollar drops. When people say, oh, you know, I only want to pay 15 thousand for the twenty thousand dollar car and, and our response would be well what if I could do it for nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars would you do it then you know it's like little things like that to be able to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody in a very un- that's kind of uncomfortable but I learned that I learned what it was like to then take the offer to the sales manager and the sales manager tells me to get the fuck out of here and go get a real deal and so it was one of the greatest things that I could do for myself to learn how to sell and I'm just so grateful that I was able to do that and by the way I then went to law school nights while selling cars. And so that's kind of how it all happened. Uh, And then my first big one was I was really lucky. I was working at a call center uh, nights uh, because I left the selling cars because it was really difficult to sell cars and they call them ups, right? So when a customer would come on the lot to take a customer and then bring them through the whole sales process sometimes takes hours. And so if I had to leave for law school, that just it just didn't work, right? So I found this job in a call center. A friend of mine, well, an old friend of mine, she was making 1300 bucks a week, right? And she was pretty much brain dead as far as I was concerned. I'm like, if she's making 1500 or 1300, I'll do 3000. And I went to this place, it was a call center. It was like being a it was like, uh, you know, the, the movie, The Boiler Room, right? Everyone remembers that. That's that's really what it was like. You know, there were people literally on the ankle bracelet in this in this call center. I come in, I got a sales background. And by the way, in between that, I was also a recruiter. And so I really knew how to sell. And these phone calls were coming into this call center and they were 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And all I had to do is just follow the script and then make the sale. And then I would just go home and then study. I couldn't believe it. And so right out of the gate, I was crushing it. Like, you know, just making like 150 grand a year just in a call center and everyone else was like, what is this guy doing? They're listening to my phone calls. They're pulling me in the office, telling me that I'm doing the wrong thing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, listen to the call, dude. No, I'm just not how to sell. I'm not, I know how to talk to the customer. And so from there, that company, I ended up being their in-house counsel. And that's a whole long story about what happened there, but it was an amazing opportunity as a lawyer. Then I started my business in 2008. And what I used to say is the worst economy in the history of the world. If I had watched the news then, if I had paid attention to really what was going on in the global economy, I probably would have never started my company. I started that company with nothing. Credit cards, closed up my 401k, the money that I was making, I was really just you know to pay for my home and, and, and take care of my family. So I didn't really have a lot of money. And I started that business, but I built that business to a business that has generated hundreds of millions of dollars. It's still here today. I'm sitting in the offices that we started in 2008. But here's the thing, Laurel. Because I was that kid from the project and I didn't have you know a lot of money, the one of the things that I did have, and we talked about this offline, was I had connections. I had people that I had met 
at trade shows, at conventions. When I was a lawyer for this other company, they trusted me. They liked me. They knew that I was a real person. And when I started my business in 2008, I leaned on those people. I mean, I had one guy that I borrowed $100 million from, and it started out with a handshake. That's how it started. You know, then obviously we had contracts from there, but it started out with literally with a handshake. He says, Mike, I'm willing to invest in you. I'm willing to back you. And that's kind of how I built my business with what I like to call connection capital. I love that. So what did you do with all your first money? I did all the things that you said not to do. I'm a kid from the projects, Laura. I'll just be honest with you. Like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I, you know what? Happened, you had to go buy that car and the big screen TV and all the yeah. I did all that stuff. I did all that stuff. You know, I, but I'll tell you, you know, here's the thing. People talk about vision boards, right? Nor dream boards. I I don't, you know, I always say dreaming's for sleeping. Let's start doing right. So, but I did have a vision board and, you know, and I saw, you know, things that I wanted. Right. And so I'm not really like a materialistic guy, but one of the first things that I wanted uh, was a Rolex. And I remember talking to my bosses at the time. They said, "What do you want a Rolex for? You do you not want to know how to tell time? Because because they because they always they don't actually keep time very well." I said, "No, but it's just something that I wanted. It was it was a goal." And I remember when I bought that first Rolex. It's the classic Submariner Rolex with the blue face that they see in all the advertisements. It's still like the one that everybody wants. And I bought it in cash, and I was shaking you know, when I did it, but it was something that I wanted. And I, when I remember that feeling, it was a feeling of like achievement and it was really great. But to be candid with you, I shouldn't have bought it because I actually couldn't afford it. Even though I bought it with cash, like I bought it with actual like green dollar bills. You know, I, I had a partner in this, in the small business I started and I said, you know, come to this jewelry store and give me the, you know, give me the cash. And I handed it to the guy and I'm wearing it. And I still have that watch and it reminds me, you know, of those days, but yeah, I did all those things. I got the, you know, the big Lexus and, and that stuff. But I also realized, and you know, I'm 46 now. I realize when I look back on it that I deserved that stuff, but I also should have been a lot smarter with my money because as a kid from the projects with, you know, my parents are, you know, still have that mentality and the people that I grew up with, you know, were still kind of in my inner circle. They had no idea what to do with money. I had no idea what to do with money. And so a lot of mistakes made. I do. Um, I know. You know, I mean, of you course. Handed all the, you just handed it all to me. I'll take care of it for a while. And then, you know. This was a long time ago. So this is back in, you know, t- 2010 or so. And and so what I've really done with my money, which is, you know, you know, we have a mutual friend, Russ Whitney, and we talk about being in the in the warrior stage and we talk about investing. You know what I invest in? Myself. And so I take huge risks. You know, we were talking about earlier and I've invested, you know, I launched the vodka that failed. I launched the daily fantasy sports company. You know why I launched the daily fantasy sports company? Okay. Because I won the 40 under 40 award by the Boston business journal here. And the CEO of DraftKings is from here. David Robbins also won it. And I went to that, to that award ceremony and John Henry was there. His wife won. There was some pretty big damn people there, but here's the crazy thing. I knew that David Robbins was going to be there. So uh, you had to make a speech, right? And here's the interesting thing about the speech, you could only use three words. After the three words, you paid $25 a word. Okay. So I get up on stage in front of everybody and I say, you know what? I just like to thank everybody uh, for being here. So I'd already exceeded my three words. I said, but it doesn't really matter because I want a ton of money on draftkings.com last night. 
And I didn't actually win any money on DraftKings.com. But what did that do? That got me in front of Dave and Robbins. And David and I had a conversation. And quite frankly, it didn't go well. He literally turned his back to me. And I'm this again, I could keep talking about I'm still that kid. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I get that kind of edge to me. And I'm like, fuck this guy. This guy turned around. He like literally turned his back at me. And I, the reason why I wanted his attention, because I pitched him on doing an infomercial for DraftKings, right? He turns his back on me. I come home. I tell the whole story. I got a friend of mine. He says, Mike, you realize that that's how I make money? And I said, no. He goes, I have a blog called Draft Demons. And I was like, what a great name. Let's launch a daily fantasy sports company. Crazy idea. I knew nothing about it. Cost me a ton of money, but I also learned a lot. So the, some of the things that I've done and the businesses that I've invested in, and we also have a mutual friend, Kevin Harrington, and I know you know this, most of the stuff that we do doesn't work, but it's the ones that work that really pay off. You are correct. So what is your favorite, like of all the things you've invested in? And I have to just tell you the story because this is another place that we're going to partner since you know David, uh, I'm going to know David, is one of the assets that I through a bad CBD deal and negotiating, which actually was a lawyer as a partner. I said, well, we can go to court. We know how that's going to go. Or, you know, what else do you have? Like, where else can we just make this right? And he had an opportunity. He hadn't taken advantage of it to buy the what's, uh, rights into the black hole. So the black hole was owned by three original Oakland Raider crazy, you know, fans uh, with the super fans and all those guys. But knowing that the Raiders moving to Vegas, they were selling a part of that company. I said, well, I know how to do that. And I'm going to put together a team here in Nevada. That'll be our Nevada NFL team and bought the black hole. So the black hole is a Raider membership fan base. We get money through sponsors. We could relaunch your vodka, slap a black hole label on your vodka. Now I made that successful, but we also get money through sponsorships and the DraftKings would be awesome with the black hole by the way, those of you listening, this is how deals get done, right? <laughs> that he mentioned somebody I know. I have an asset that you know could use that. We have equity stakes. We could still give. Just so you know how this happens. And I think, Mike, just a quick little lesson to those listening: most people have no idea at this moment where you identify an opportunity to put it together. And I think you know, with your legal background and my experience in business. It's probably what we do best. I know I love putting operating agreements together and helping people really come together and take ideas to deals. Love it. But yeah, yeah me too. Right? I mean, and, and don't you notice that a lot of people have ideas and they ideas never come, you know, to deals. And I mean, they, for me, they fail before they even get some runway. Um, I think stuff that fails with you and I is just whatever, not enough attention. Um, well, you know, but here's the thing, right? It's like, you know, they say the fastest way to go broke is to have a bunch of ideas, you know, so but like, you know, here's the thing is, is I am the type of person like I never want to be that person that really be truly becomes infected with if I had only syndrome, right? Oh, you know, yeah. like, I, I, as so many people I hear, it's mostly my family members, like, man, like, if I had only done that, right? we taught you, know, you're a five time New York Times bestselling author, I've done I've never gone that big, but I'm a three time Wall Street Journal USA Today bestselling author, I've done some pretty good things with, with my books as well. But uh, how many people have you met said, oh, well, I was, I'm going to write a book or I want to write a book. Yeah, well, fucking write the book. Nobody does it, you know? And so like, I am that type of person though. If I do have an idea and I really do believe in it, I never want to look back on my life and say, man, I should have done that. If I had only done that. One of my first businesses, I declared bankruptcy because of that business, but I was, I knew I was young enough. I knew I could recover. I was in law school when it happened. So I needed to make a decision. Actually, the business was growing to be candid with you. But I, I took a pretty big hit and I, and I had two choices. Do I try and raise money or do I stay in law school? I, and I decided to stay in law school and I declared bankruptcy. And that was like, I don't know, 17 years ago. It hurt, 
but I learned a lot. I also met a lot of people. I've written about it in my books. I show people like that these things happen. This is business. Like you had mentioned, you know, sometimes deals go sideways and things end up in uh, in litigation, which nobody wins in that scenario. And your your approach to it is like, hey, <laughs> let's just figure out how to make this thing work. Yeah. Yeah. You owe me so money. If you exactly. you owe me money, you know it. Um, you did this thing that you shouldn't have done. The evidence is clear. We've both been to court. So anyway, I did put the cool asset out of it. Tell me though, like our whole cycle of how to create millionaires. If you think about it, I would have the common sense approach. You got to make money. You probably become a millionaire. People become millionaires in a 20, 30 year job with a big pension and all that. But what a boring, slow way to do it. Entrepreneurialism, my promise is a three to five year millionaire. And then once you're millionaires, you know, Mike, then all this other, I'm going to say fun, but then the strategies really kick in. Because you know how to do deals. You know how to look at deals. So once you make it, obviously, there's a tax structure in keeping it. Investing has a tax structure to how do you invest it. Tell me a few of your big successes. Yeah. Right? So big successes in investing, like the and whether it's the fun ones, the monetary ones, and what made them work. Because I think that's the lesson for the listeners. What made that work? Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to, again, really in like what I said, which is, you know, the classic, you know, statement of entrepreneurs, I invested in myself and I, and I reinvested in my business. So when I have had some, some big successes, I have taken that money and I put it back in my business. I don't own real estate. I own my home, you know, which we, we could talk about is, you know, is, is not really technically an asset, right. You know, but it's a pretty big home and it's actually worth a lot of money if I had to sell it. And you know, I own a condo and a couple other things, but I've taken the money that I have made and I put it back and I reinvest in the business. I'll tell you a big mistake that I've made though, which is I, I've also put money back into the business just so that I could keep people on payroll. And that was a huge mistake that I've made throughout the years. And so what I've done now over the past few years, look, I'll tell you a quick story. So I had this mentor, right? And let me tell you how I met this mentor. When I was uh, running the business, when I first started, you talked about, you and I, you were kind of giving me a little coaching session about when, you know, starting a business and all these different divisions you need. You need legal, you need HR, you need, you, you need accountants, you know, you need sales, you need customer service, all these things, the non-sexy things that businesses need. I had most of that stuff, but I didn't have an accountant work for me. I had an accountant clerk and I was spending $600,000 a week plus on media. We were just crushing it. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. And uh, I got a phone call from one of my manufacturers says, Mike, you owe me $750,000. And I had no idea that I owed him $750,000. Why? Because I had like an accounting clerk. She was the one that was dealing with it and she was dealing with him. He didn't want to say anything to me for whatever reason, right? So he sent something to me. Then I got a phone call from another guy. His name's Charles Parisi. Uh, Charles Parisi calls me and says, Mike, I'm partners with Jeff and you now owe me the money. Now, Charles Parisi has got a New York accent, but he lives in San Diego and he owns a bunch of restaurants. And you can just imagine what I'm thinking. Guy flies all the way from San Diego, says, look, I want to audit you. He goes, I want to help you with your business actually. And I want to, you know, I want to take you to the next level. And he goes, and by the way, I've never lost any money in investing. So it made me a little bit nervous. Guy shows up. He's exactly what you would think. You know, looks like something like a gangster out of the movies. He's, you know, like perfectly dressed. He's tan. He's good looking. He's very very well-spoken. And he audits me. And he says, Mike, listen, it was like, uh, it was like November. I think at the time he says, listen, you know, I've, I've been here two days and uh, I want to congratulate you. He said, you know, this year up until this point, um, you've done 33 million in revenue. You'll probably end up doing, you know, close to 40 before the end of the year. He said, but what if I told you you lost two? And then he said, what if I could show you that if you did 15 and you could keep two, which one would you choose? And I joked around with him. I said, well, 
I'd, I don't know, I'd rather do the 33 because it just sounds cool, you know, yeah. because, <laughs> yeah, <way better>. yeah. <laughs> but I was just, I was so naive and I was young and, and I, and these are the, th- I've always been one of those guys that kind of learns things the hard way, but my big kind of successes, we talked about all the failures. And, and again, you, we've learned it from Zig Ziglar. We don't call them failures, temporary defeats. And so I've had several big, big direct response winners on television, and they're still on TV today, despite what's going on in in the world. And so they're still on TV today. And those are the ones that have generated hundreds of millions of dollars, and they continue to generate millions of dollars. And you talked about, again, we talked about this offline, and I've built a massive database that is worth millions of dollars. And so that's my asset class. That's what I've done. And you talk and you teach people, build your asset, turn your contacts into a database that you can monetize. And and that's what I've done. So if I stopped everything right now, my like fail safe, and by the way, I've had these conversations because I've had catastrophic financial events happen to me over the over several years. We should and have, I, you know what, Mike, we, here's another book. I actually have three or four partners that want to do it. We're going to write a book. It's just going to be a fast one because it'll be the stories of several, I have four other people who want to write it. Um, I came up with the idea of drinking way too much wine with them one night uh, last year. And it is the amount of millions, like all right, we failed our ways to millions. Like how many millions did we burn getting where we are? Like that, I think people would be shocked when they're like, "Oh my God, I got hurt and I lost twenty gross, even a hundred grand." It's like, uh, let's pony that up to seven figures on losses. I'm I'm with you. I don't know how many times I had to fund my company for whatever reason. Right, I'm with you. I think that a lot of people need to see the other side. You know the thing that that I hate the most. I built this massive house in the town that I grew up in, in the town, again, that I was in the project. It's a private neighborhood. And it's in a coastal town. Like if you, if you stood on my, my roof, you can see the water. I'm like two seconds from the beach. So I'm not on the water yet, but that's my, that's my goal, right? And so what I did was, and, and by the way, and I think I told you the story about our mutual friend, Russ Whitney. Uh, I was riding my bike in and around these neighborhoods. And I said to Russ, I said, man, like, how do I... I deserve this type of house. Like I want to be here. And Russ is like, well, you'll figure it out. And so I figured it out. And so I built, I had this house built over, over the course of about eight, nine months. Right. And so each month, what I was doing was, is I was taking that money uh, and I was giving it to the builder. Right. And so uh, essentially what I did was, is I took, you know, 300,000, it was like 350, I think over time to use as my down payment. Right. Well, but here's the thing is I had another hundred thousand in actual cash, like green dollar bills. And I was also naive. And I said, well, I was just going to take that hundred and also put it down. Again, you probably would be against that, but here's the funny thing that I learned. I didn't understand this. My mortgage guy goes, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm just going to deposit in the bank and just, and just write the check. He goes, no, no, no. Like, like, where did that money come from? I'm like, what do you mean where did it came from? It came from my business. He goes, yeah, no, you can't. He's like, there's all these money laundering things. You can't do any of that stuff. So I just definitely, like, I didn't know a lot of that stuff. Um, but, best friend. That'll never happen again. <laughs> but when you talk about catastrophic events, in 2016, this happened to me in 2010, and it also happened to me in 2016. But in 2010, uh, in one day, without notice, and by the way, I've been in business selling dietary supplements, nutritional products on television and what they call a card not present environment. People do on go on continuity. We have done trials before, but I've been in business doing that exact business longer than anybody in this space. There isn't anybody that sells dietary supplements that does it as clean as me and as good as me. I haven't like put $20 million in my bank account because I do it the right way. But I had in one day in 2010, uh, it was $600,000 frozen in an instant 
all of my merchant processing, we were processing for about a week and we didn't realize it. Not only that the 600,000 that was grabbed, but then it was being held. So all the money that we had processed, again, if you heard me earlier, I was spending 600,000 a week and I didn't, we didn't see it because it's usually a couple of days. So all in, it was like 1.5 that it was frozen. And I, by the way, I could not process credit cards. And actually, you know, who helped me out was um, I had a merchant account with Zig Ziglar's nephew, John Ziglar. So I was able to, I had a backup plan, right? That happened to me. Didn't put me out of business. I'm still here today. In 2016, same thing happened to me. Why? It's just because of the space that I'm in. It's just, there's a lot of bad players. I'm not, you know, I got an ex-wife. I got a mortgage. I got dogs. I got, a, you, know, I got a, you know, like I'm as real as it gets. I got employees, you know, I'm, I'm not some kid banging credit cards off the coast of, you know, Costa Rica or whatever. Like I'm, I'm doing like real things. And in one day in 2016, 800 grand grabbed all my shit frozen and effectively, I got to be honest with you at that moment, when that happened, I went to my guys and I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Like, I I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't live my life like this anymore. And so, um, but at the same time, I also recognize it's just the nature of the game. It's just the business that I'm in. And when I really shifted my mindset, like, okay, this stuff just happens. How do we prepare for it? And how do we make sure it never happens again? And so, um, so those are the kind of the things that I always think about in business. As a lawyer, I always think about like worst case scenario, like, if this thing happens, catastrophic event, the worst thing that you could possibly happen, if it happens, then what? Like, what's your move? It's like playing chess. Like, what's your move, right? And so I always try to think four or five, you know, steps in advance. Like, if this, then that. If this, then that. I have businesses all over the world. Why do I have businesses all over the world? Honestly, to protect myself. That's why. Exactly. You are so much fun. And this is uh, awesome. I got to ask you, though, back to you, you said uh, you have infomercials and things going. Tell us like you're leading one or two brands. What's out there that we know where we can watch them and say, ah, that's Mike. Yeah. Like like Dan Kennedy is like one of my mentors forever on and off. And, you know, throughout like he if you ever want to like go, oh, my God, who does Weight Watchers? Welcome to Dan. Who does Proactive? Dan. So it's kind of fun to watch like who are the brains behind some of these. uh, these, You know, it's funny. I've never met him. And, you know, I've done some pretty big things in this space. And I mean, I know he's just a legend, but right now on TV, the, the ones that have been running for 10 years. So one of them is called Androzine. It's called Androzine with John Abdo. John Abdo is a legend in and of himself as well. He's done billions in revenue. He's got a product called the Abdoer. And uh, when you talked about proactive, John Abdo went to every major like DR company, including Guthy Renker, who, who is proactive, and everybody said no to him. He has a male, we call it, it's a male sexual health product. It's and, and I joke around, I call it a dick pill, but it's not that, right? See, here's the thing. Viagra is Viagra because there's a need and there's a want, right? Too, right? So, and there's a product that works, right? So we have an infomercial for that product. It's called Androzine, and we've sold millions and millions and millions of units of it. Why? And why am I still in business? Why am I still selling a a product that is, you know, I I might as well just be selling uh, porn wrapped up in gambling because that's how I'm treated sometimes. Um, But the product itself, it works. There's a problem and we offer the solution. So it's called Androzine. It's still on air today. I have another one called Arthur D. Here's the interesting thing about Arthur D. I'll tell you. Arthur D, when we first started, it's a joint health supplement. I had no money. I had just started my business. I was licensing some other shows. We still really just didn't have a lot of cash. I shot that infomercial, Laurel, in a basement in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I say, I mean, an actual basement, okay, with a black backdrop. I'm orange. He's pale. You can see the black backdrop. And sometimes when we go to what they call the two shot, you can see the floor, which you're never supposed to do. We have what they call jump cuts. Like from a cinematography standpoint, it is just, it would drive like a, a, an editor crazy, 
Okay. But here's the thing. And, and I want our, your listeners to, to listen to this though. And, and a lot of people get caught up in this stuff, especially now with all the technology that's out there. The reason why that show has generated over $150 million and is still on TV today. And I guarantee if you watch television, not just late at night, you've seen me and him on the show. The reason why that show and the John Abdo show is still on air is because of the quality of the content. Okay, the quality of the content. So the the production value doesn't matter. You know, the the jump cuts, it doesn't matter. What matters is the quality of the content. That's why it's there. And then ultimately the product. I tell people all the time, look, your product is secondary. You know, you'd mentioned you're on the CBD space. I'm in the CBD space. I'm the only one on television, right? I have a CBD. I'm the only one on television right now with a long form CBD show. The only one. Now, there's a couple of guys out there selling hemp. But I'm the only one selling a long form CBD. Why? Because I I understand nutritional supplements. It's what I do. It's what we do, and you know we're, we're doing well with it, and we're and we're growing. In fact, we have a WeFunder campaign. I, I'm not even really sure why we did that, but I want to take it public. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this whole program public. How am I going to get in the deal? Like you know that those of you that are listening, this is so much fun because this is how deals get done and partnerships happen. So you know I'm going to end up over there. You're going to end up over my black hole. We're going to have all sorts of like yeah. Let's do but, it. But yeah, I know we got to kind of wrap. I think we're going to have to do a part two to this <laughs> part one and a part two, because uh, we have so much to, uh, to, uh, to download uh, those that are listening, right? Cause uh, this podcast is all over the world. What would be your top? I'm going to say advice. I'm not going to give you the one, twos or threes. There's some tips, some strategies, regardless of where they are. What do they have to do every day? You know, so one of the things that I learned from from people like yourself and from others that are just, you know, playing, a, you know, on a, on a different level is to develop habits that no longer become habits, right? So there's a great book called The Power of Habit and when you when you get into a habit, it becomes non-volitional, meaning it just happens, right? And so if you develop success habits, meaning I'll tell you one of the things that I do. Uh, so I learned this from Tony Robbins. He talks about, you know, you wake up in the morning and you remind yourself of three things that you're grateful for, right? It's, this, this is some, this is simple stuff, right? But I never did that. I just, I just didn't, right? So now I do. And the other thing too, that I, that I really focus on and, and, you know, when you saw me, you can see my profile on Clubhouse. I have a hat and glasses and it says wicked happy, right? For me, at this stage in the game and in, in my life, and I think everybody who's listening right now should really, really focus on this, is I honestly, Laurel, I just want to be happy. And I and I said to my partner in that deal, I said, Garrett, I just want to be wicked happy. So when I wake up in the morning, we're from Boston, wicked, right? So mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, by the way, this is kind of an absurd statement from a kid that grew up on the projects, but I just want to just kind of just like give you this visual. Okay. So I built this 5,600 square foot house in a private neighborhood in the same town that I grew up with and the same town where everyone told me that I'll be dead or in jail and, and I'm living better than any one of them there. They see me driving around. They're like, who is this, the, this kid? Like, I remember him. I remember him. She should be in jail. Right. So I wake up in the morning and the first thing that I look at above my fireplace in my bedroom is an original painting by the artist Romero Brito. If you just Google him, he's one of the most prolific artists of our time. And it's of the word happy. And that's the first thing that I do when I open my eyes. I look at that and I remind myself that Mike, your reality is most people's dreams. Even though sometimes my world is chaos, my reality is most people's dreams. So that's, those are the two things that I do. I look at that. I remind myself to be happy and I remind myself of three things that I should be grateful for every single day. And lastly, I'll give you this one. This one totally changed my life 
which is I'm a practitioner of transcendental meditation. It's not a religious thing. It's none of that stuff there. Everybody now is talking about mental health because it's the in thing. I, I talked about it in my first book in 2014. Mental health. If you don't have your mental health, you don't have anything. Would agree, would agree, would agree. Uh, Mike, you are amazing. Again, if people, I know you're writing another book, and uh, those of you that want to follow all the projects Mike and I are going to un, you know, fold in 2021, stay tuned. We'll be back on this podcast. But how do they reach you right now? Sure. You know what? You can just find me on Instagram. It's at Mike Alden 2012. You can just go to MikeAlden.com. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can also find me, same thing, on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And if you go to at Mike Alden 2012 on Instagram, you can just click on uh, my website and you kind of see all the things they're up to. If you're interested in investing in CBD, there's, we have a link there for that. If, you know, if you're an author and we didn't talk, spend a lot of time about that, but if you're an author and you really want to take your book to the next level, I know you have a lot of secrets about that too. I wrote a book called Bestseller Secrets. I give it away for free. You pay a small processing fee, but I spent literally millions of dollars developing the strategies and techniques that work. And I've done it for some of the biggest authors out there and the stuff just works. I give it away for free. Click the link, click the bestseller link and download that there. And, and I, I can guarantee if you apply those strategies, like all of your strategies with wealth, it works. Absolutely. Mike, it's great to have you. Look forward to having you back again. Follow Mike on Instagram. Follow us here at Laurel's Real Money Talks. And anytime, if you have a request, you want to have a money question, somehow you want to get a hold of us, we are always on. Go to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Dot com. There's information there. Asklaurel.com is the simplest way. A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L.com. There's a place for your name, your phone number, your question, your request and say, I need help right now. And we will get you help round the clock. So stay in touch. And uh, we'll be back on the World's World Money Talks next week. Another chapter. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.